by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Now, if you'll just mark that and you'll turn with me to 1 Corinthians, please. The first book of Corinthians, chapter 15. 1 Corinthians and chapter 15. Let's read from verse 3. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And then we're going to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, please. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And so then, let your eye run down to verse 9. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. Whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. And then, if you'll let your eye, pardon me, if you'll turn again with me to first book of Peter. 1 Peter, the epistle of Peter, chapter 3, and verse 18. For Christ also hath suffered once, pardon me, for Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. I know the Lord will bless those reading of his word and we'll look at some more in a little moment. That's just by and a word of prayer. Eternal Father, we thank you, Father, that in all things we can say that Christ died for us, that he shed his blood for us to redeem us, to wash us and to cleanse us from all of our sin, our law-breaking, our transgressions and our iniquities. So, Father, tonight we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that if there's one that would watch, whether Facebook or YouTube, live now, or even later at some point, we pray if they're unsaved, they'd hear that Christ died. May your Spirit, Lord, quicken them and waken them and convict them of their sin and draw them to Christ. We pray, Father, for those who are saved watching this now, live or later. We also pray for them that, Lord, as we hear of what our Lord Jesus Christ has done for us again and afresh at the cross. We pray, Father, for the blessing of the Lord to be rich upon them, for we know you add no sorrow with it. So, Father, glorify your Son and glorify your name. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5 and verse 6 to verse 9, he tells us in verse 6 that Christ died for the ungodly. And then in verse 8, he tells us again, Christ died for us. Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for us. In other words, those of us who are saved were ungodly. And Christ died for us, the ungodly. It's easy for a man and a woman to take offense it may even be usual in nowadays in 2020 for a, a man or a woman to take offense at the scriptures or to the man and the woman who, who are hearing that they're sinners, that the messenger of the gospel 
has offended them by saying they're ungodly and they're sinners. But really what we should be saying is thank you for pointing this out to me because then they might see their condition. For example, when we look at two words in our first reading, two words which make a difference in eternity, which make a difference to me, to you, and to all who will hear. The two words are not in verse 6, without strength, although we'll look at it later. The two words are not due time, in verse 6. Neither are they a righteous man, in verse 7, nor good man, in verse 7. Nor is it even God commendeth, in verse 8. It's none of those that would cause us to rejoice at this point. Because the, first, the two words which make the difference is Christ died. Christ died. If God had have loved us, but yet sent not the Lord Jesus Christ. If Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ had not have went to the cross. If the Lord Jesus Christ had not have died, then you and I would still be in our sins, still without strength. None would be a righteous or a good man. And God could not truly say he commended his love in the sense that he sent his son. And notice here, verse 6 and verse 8 tells us Christ died. Christ died for the ungodly in verse 6. Christ died for us in verse 8. Then again in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 3, the apostle Paul tells us Christ died for our sins. Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for us. Christ died for our sins. And then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, it says, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 10, who died for us? Who died for us? Christ died for the ungodly, one. Christ died for us, that's two. Christ died for our sins, that's three. Christ died that we might obtain salvation, that's four. Christ died. And of course, there are many others. That's four reasons Christ died. But in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, we, wrote, we read, For Christ hath once suffered for sins. Notice, Christ suffered. The cross was a place of torment, of suffering, of the, of the man who was placed on the cross. It was a place where injury and death was brought about slowly. The cross was a place where pain and agony was inflicted upon the man on that cross. And here Peter, Peter is writing to the strangers or Israelites scattered abroad who have now come into the faith of Christ. And he says, For Christ also hath once suffered. Notice once. In other words, he will not suffer again. There's no secondary cross. There's no other way. There's no other means. And there's no other method than the one time, once for all, and never to be repeated, sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter says, Christ suffered once. He once suffered for sins. Why did Christ die? For sins. 
for sinners, for the ungodly, that we might obtain salvation. Notice, for Christ also hath suffered, once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. So Christ died for our sins. He suffered for our sins. Why? That he might bring us to God. That we are, as, as the, the, the prophet said to Israel, your sins and your iniquities have separated between you and your God. And we were separated between God and us. There's a great gulf fixed, a separation between us, and it was our sin. Our sin was our law-breaking, the, the moral commandments of God. The Ten Commandments are being broken, and we transgressed, and so we sinned before God, and there is the great gulf between God and ourselves. But Christ once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Notice, he is the just, we are the unjust. He is the just and the righteous, we are the unjust and the ungodly. And so Christ came and he died for our sins. He is the just one. It means he is the only sinless one. He knew no sin. He did no sin. He was yet without sin. He is holy and he is harmless. And he is undefiled and separate from sinners. And now he's made higher than the heavens. And here Christ was the just one who came to die for us, the unjust. Why? That he might bring us to God. Notice that he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Jesus was put to death in the flesh, as it were. He allowed them to crucify him, and he gave up the ghost. And then the eternal Spirit, that is Almighty God, raised him the man, the body, the man Christ Jesus, again from the dead on the third day. Notice Christ died. Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for our sins. Christ died that we might obtain salvation. Christ died that, we might, that he might bring us to God. Here he is bringing us now as he is now in heaven, perfect and pure and holy as he was, the spotless Lamb of God, died and bore our sin in his own body on the tree, took my sin and my shame and my place and my penalty. He was my substitute and there he took my sin and there he took the wrath of the Father in my place and in yours. And this tells me, since he took the wrath of the Father and its fullness on the cross, that I take his righteousness and so I will never be standing before God in judgment for my sin ever again. He was the only one who could take away our sin. He was the only one who is able to save a soul. He is the only one who could die for the ungodly and for sinners because he was perfect and pure and holy and righteous. He is the impeccable Son of God. He who loved us and gave himself for us. Listen to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9. Hebrews 2 and verse 9 says, But we see Jesus, 
who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. Notice, here it is again. Peter tells us Christ once suffered. Here the Hebrew writer says he was suffering. The cross was an implement of pain and torture. The suffering of death. Christ suffered all the way into death. Christ suffered and he took my suffering and yours. Christ suffered that I would not have to suffer. And the greatest of all is not even, and I sit with reverence, and my heavenly Father, my Lord Jesus, hears me. I sit with the utmost respect, and I sit with timidity. I sit but the nails in his hands, the nails in his feet, and the riven side, and the crown of thorns, and the lashings upon his back, and his beaten and bruised body, and his beard pulled out, horrific as it is to us, that is not the worst. The suffering was the wrath of his father. The wrath of his father, something you and I will never comprehend, nor understand, neither could we ever plumb nor fathom the depths of what he went through on that cross when he cried, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Here he bled and died. He was made a little lower than the angels. Here's the one who was the very center of heaven. Here's the one who takes the worship of angels. Here's the one whom the cherubim and the seraphim and the elders and the beasts of glory would bow down and worship. And here all of heaven rejoices around him in his wonder and splendor and glorious beauty. And here he now takes on, not the, the form of an angel, but after the seed of Abraham, he takes on a body of flesh. He's clothed the Logos, the eternal word of the Father, and he is clothed in flesh. And he walks as a man upon the earth, and he lives as a man in Canaan land, and he dies a man, the God-man. He dies upon the cross of Calvary. He's made a little lower than the angels. He whom the angels worshipped is now hanging on a tree, suffering for people like you and like me. Notice, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Oh, thank you, Jesus, you tasted death. Doesn't mean you just tasted it and you left it. You went right into death. Thank you, Jesus, that you did. Because he tasted death, it means he was raised again the third day. And because he lives, we shall live also. And we can say, oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Such is the reason that Christ died. He died for us. So we give him glory this evening. We give him all the honor for he alone is worthy. The wonderful Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, friend, Christ died. And if you could be saved by your works, by your alms, by your deeds, by your charity, by good personality, by good citizenship, if you could be saved by your denomination, by ritual or by religion, whatever side of the divide you come on, if you could be saved by, by any of this, then Christ need not have died.
then Christ need not have shed his blood. Then Christ need not have went to the suffering of death. Uh, that Christ need not have once suffered for our sins. We needed to try harder, to live better, to be good. We needed to give more or whatever. But all of them are as filthy rags before our Father in heaven. And so Christ was the only remedy. Christ's blood is the only cleanser. And Christ alone could die for us in our room instead. What a substitute. What a savior. What a redeemer. What a master. What a king. What a God. What a friend. What a lover. Notice here, if you and I could do anything to add to our salvation in Christ, need not have died. In Romans 5 and in verse 6, Paul says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. I have to look for a minute here, these two words, without strength. Without strength. Let me give you a couple of examples of men and people without strength. In Job chapter 6 and verse 11, the man who lost everything, who lost his family, who lost his riches, who lost his livestock, who lost his health, who lost his strength, who lost everything but a wife who would not support him. And notice the man who had lost everything that he ever owned or had, even as standing in the, in, his, in the place where he lived, in his city. Job the man who went from riches to ruins overnight. He says in Job 6 and verse 11, What is my strength that I should hope? What is my strength that I should hope? Friend, I want to tell you that should be the very thought of every man and every woman who are not saved. What is my strength then if I can't save myself? What is my strength that I should hope? For when we were yet without strength, here's your hope, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for our sins when we were yet without strength. The thought was, that Job's strength was taken from him and he was spent. He was spent. There's people without hope, people without strength in life, strength of mind and strength of heart, without strength to want to live another second, without strength to have, to be able to live another moment. Friend, I want to tell you that Christ died for you and you're without strength. If you turn to him, he will save you. He will bless you. He will keep you. He will strengthen you. He will strengthen you. And Job here says, what is my strength that I should hope? Job gets to the place in life where he realizes his strength is weak. His strength is small. And all hope of saving or recovering himself is gone. And maybe you're there tonight. Friend, life is too much for you. Well, I can tell you, new life in Christ will be great for you if you turn to know the Savior. Notice here, only God taking control. Only God taking control. Only God stepping in. Only God getting involved. And may I say, only God interfering in his life, in his affairs, in his situation, and then his circumstances. The only God moving on Job was that which kept the devil at bay and kept Job. Insanity unsaved. 
Notice here, friend, strength will rise when you wait upon the Lord. Listen to a man, William Cowper. William Cowper was in a, a, a mental health institute when he, was, uh, when he was a younger man. And he struggled much even about salvation, did he even know the Lord. And he met John Newton, pardon me, John Owen. And he came and he, he strengthened him. And he encouraged him. And he, William Cowper wrote this song. And this verse of it is a wonderful Wonderful picture of a man without strength from the scriptures and of a man without strength who Christ saved. He writes, the dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. William Cowper realized he had no strength of mind or of heart, no will nor want, no ability for salvation of the soul, and even at times to struggle to live this life. And there, with the word of God applied, yes, by John Newton, with the word of God applied to him, he realized even the dying thief in the scriptures could be saved in his weakness without the ability to do anything to add to what Christ has done. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there may I, though vilest he wash all my sins away, he wrote. Notice, when we were yet without strength, John, or William Cowper was yet without strength. Job was yet without strength. And friend, I want to tell you, the dying thief was yet without strength. The dying thief who cried to the Lord Jesus Christ, Rememberest thou me? Lord, rememberest thou me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And that dying thief heard that he would be with Christ in his kingdom. Verily I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Notice here, friend, he cried, Lord, rememberest thou me. And Christ did not reject him. He called upon the Lord. He had no ability to give to do good works, to go to church, as it were. He had no ability, for there he was hanging on a cross, crucified alongside the Savior. And because he could do nothing by faith, he accepted what Christ was accomplishing beside him. And there he called out to the Lord. This man had no alms nor charity to give. His testimony was the testimony of a thief. His testimony was a testimony of a criminal. And there he was, a curse now, hanging upon a tree. Listen, friend, don't you die with a testimony that isn't God-glorifying. Don't you go out into eternity without having a testimony of glorifying Christ and living for God, without God, without Christ, and without hope in the world, but rather call upon the name of the Lord and thou shalt be saved. And notice here this dying thief, He called upon the Lord. He was yet without strength, unable to save himself. I want to tell you a story. And of many, many, many of ones like these, but I thought about it coming down, driving here in the car tonight. And it was a man and his wife. Nice to pastor his wife. This man was unsaved. 
This man was a Roman Catholic, and he hadn't even been practicing Catholicism for quite some time either. But this man was a Roman Catholic, and his wife was a, got saved, and she was at our church. And his wife was a beautiful, lovely lady. When I used to go and visit, she used to spoil me. She used to set me down with toast dripping with butter and a cup of tea and all this sort of stuff. And used to, used to spoil me. She used to say I was like her adopted son. And you call her Jean. And Jean's husband, Paddy, his name was Paddy Fitzpatrick. And Paddy was a rough guy, I'm told, when he was in his younger days. And now Paddy's in his early 80s. And Paddy had taken a stroke, and I was still visiting him, and he was able to talk a bit, and he was moving very slowly. And I tried to talk to him about the Lord many, many times, and Paddy just wasn't having it. And Gina's wife would have talked about the Lord, and Paddy wasn't having it. And I remember one time, and this is the truth, I went, Paddy took another stroke, and he went downhill. And I went to see him, and there he was, sitting, unable to move, and hardly able to speak, nearly unintelligible, well, the words he was saying, and he was looking out his living room window with a high chair with arms, just looking out the window, and he'd sent for me. And I went to see him, and I says, well, Paddy, how are you? And his words to me were, I can't live like this any longer. So I'm thinking, well, he's been ill for a while, maybe it's the illness. And I said, what way do you mean, Paddy? You mean because you're ill? And he went, no. He says, I'm a bad man. I said, Paddy, you're not a bad man in the sense where you're, you're wicked and bad in the sense where people are concerned. I says, you're an unsaved man. And he says to me, I can't live like this any longer. I want to get saved. So I started to tell Paddy, he's looking out the window, and I says, you know, Paddy, for you to get saved, you must repent of your sins. And Paddy, you must look out that, well, you're looking out that window. You can't go out and do good works to add to this. Sitting in your seat, and he has face had dropped down and he could hardly speak and, uh, and, he, and I says Paddy you can't do your good works and you can't go to a church and you can't do you have to receive Christ by the faith that God has given you now and the repentance unto life can you do that Paddy let me tell you more of the gospel and he, he turned around and he says do you think I'm stupid I've heard you long enough I need to get saved help me to get saved and I told him the way to the cross. And I told him Christ died for him again. And I told him of the blood that he shed for him. And Paddy, with his face drooping down one side, cried unto God. And Paddy was gloriously saved by sovereign grace. And Paddy lived a short while, and his wee wife died. She took ill. And he died not long after. But Paddy was a saved man. Paddy died knowing that Christ had died for him and Paddy will be in Christ's kingdom. Another man who lived around the corner, and his wife was a godly wee woman, a lovely lady. And she came and then she took ill and she passed away and her name was Mary. And this man was called Harry. And everybody knew Harry because he was a cyclist all his life, very fit, but Harry took ill, and Harry didn't want to know the Lord. And he was about 90, I think, at this time. 90 years of age, he didn't want to know the Lord. And I used to try and talk to him, and he, he sat, and he was never ignorant or arrogant with me, but he sat and listened, but he just didn't. He shunned the Lord. And this day, 
Harry was in the hospital and was sent for. I was sent for and I went up and Harry had his hands gripped tight. You thought the blood was stopping at his fingers. His, his arms were stiff as a board. He was almost doing a crab's bend out of bed. His legs were like two uh, pillars of concrete. His whole body was like in hypertension because he realized he was a sinner. And all of it came at a late age. And I sat down beside his hospital bed. And it says, Harry, what do you want me for? Are you okay? What are you thinking of, Harry? And he said, tell me about Jesus again. And I told him, and he said these words to me. I says, Harry, he died for you. Harry, he shed his blood for you. Harry, he rose again for you. Harry, his spirit has been dealing with you. And you've turned him away so many times these 90 years. And Harry, you could have stood on him and he wouldn't have bent. Wound up and like a, a tightened spring. And he says, would he forgive me now? I says, yes, he would, Harry. He says, even now, that's his words, even now. I says, even now, Harry. He says, even in my old days. I says, even in your old age, Harry. He says, would he forgive me for the times I turned him away? Would he forgive me for the times I told him I didn't want him? I says, Harry, he'll forgive you. If you call upon the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. For Christ died for you, Harry. And Harry called in the name of the Lord and I prayed with him. And Harry relaxed in the bed. And he just, you thought he was like someone had melted him. And his words were, thank you, you can go now, I'm saved. Thank you, you can go now, I'm saved. What a privilege it was for me to be with these people. What an honor it was to see them coming to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What a privilege that is mine. Catholic lady, one more. I have so many of them, a Catholic lady. Beautiful lady, lovely lady. She was dying with cancer. And we were talking to her and her daughter was talking to her about the saving grace of Christ. And you know, that lady in a hospice received the Lord and a priest came in to do the ritual, to do it all, to have a mass with her. And to give her the extreme unction and she refused it all. And she says, she didn't want it. You know why, she says. Because you see, you can't take Christ in on a wafer. You take him into the heart. You take him into the soul. You take him into the life. You take him right in by faith. Through the word, what it says. And that lady was saved. Saved by grace. Oh, he's a wonderful savior. He's wonderful savior. The dying thief was without strength. That lady was without strength. Paddy Fitzpatrick was without strength. And Harry was without strength. And they called upon the name of the Lord and even the, those who have physical strength. They were without strength. But listen, they were without strength physically. But even worse, they were without strength spiritually. Because Paul tells us, and you hath he quickened, that is the believers, you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and in sins. The Holy Spirit has quickened us and given us the strength to believe. 
Friend, if you can believe that Christ died for you tonight, if you can believe and be saved tonight, it's not of your own strength, for you're without strength. In fact, you're dead. It's God who's given you the interest. It's God who's regenerating you. It's the Holy Spirit of God who is quickening you and making you alive and giving you strength, the ability to repent and to believe. There's no depths that you've gone to where God's mercy cannot find you. There's no sin too dark that Christ's blood cannot wash you. There's none gone too far that Christ cannot redeem you. There's none God, God, pardon me, there's none who have fallen that he cannot restore again. He says to Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 and 9, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. And while we say this to believers who are weak in faith and struggling, which is right and true, still it's his grace. By grace we're saved through faith and his strength that enables us to do some. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 19, Paul writes, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the ungodly and the sinners. The law of God, that thou shalt not, is made for the ungodly and for the sinners. Who are these ungodly and who are these sinners? Well, the same words used are used again by Peter in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 18. And listen to what he says. If the righteous scarcely be saved, if the righteous scarcely be saved, where? The word where is the word poo, and it means in what place? Where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? In what place shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Or in other words, the word here, the ungodly, is the word asibas, and it means where shall those who are destitute of all reverential awe and reverence toward God of those who are in defiance of God's laws. He says, where will the ungodly and the sinner, Hymartolos, those who are devoted to their sin, not free from their sin? There's people and they just love their sin. They relish in their sin. They're not devoted to God, but they're devoted to their sin. You're not free from your sin when you're devoted to your sin. If you're not washed in the blood, you're not free from your sin. Where will you appear? You have no reverence to God. You have no reverence toward God. And you are in defiance of God's holy laws. Notice you are devoted to self and to sin. And where will you appear? You know what the word appear means? It means to shine, to be brought forth into light. When God brings you into his light, where will you appear? He will be able to look and know everything about you. And there the guilty will stand guilty. The unrighteous will still be unrighteous. The sinner will still stand the sinner. But those of us who believe Christ died for us and are trusting in the blood of the Lamb, we will be free from all of our debt of sin. We are free from all of our debt of sin. You know, the Lord Jesus in John 3 in verse 19, John 3 and 19 said, and this is the condemnation. 
that light has come into the world. Listen, but men loved darkness rather than light. Notice, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And they hide, as it were. We don't want to come into the light of the word of God. We don't want to come into the light of the gospel because our deeds are evil. So notice, you're without strength, ungodly, without reverential fear, defiant against God's law. We're devoted to sin, but not free from it. We must realize that's who we are to be saved. Mark chapter 2 and verse 17, the Lord Jesus says, They that are whole have no need of a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus says, if you're saying you don't need me, you're self-righteous. And I didn't co- I'm not come to call you. I've come to call the sinner to repentance. Those who will acknowledge that they need Christ and need saved. Puritan William Bridge said, if you lay yourself at Christ's feet, he will take you into his arms. Friend, if you lay yourself tonight at Christ's feet, he will take you into his arms. He will take you into his arms. I'm closing. I'm closing. Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. When was he made a curse for us? He was made a curse for us on the tree of Calvary. He was made a curse for us when he suffered death. The suffering of death. He was made a curse for us when he once suffered for our sins. Christ became a curse for you and I that you and I might be free from the curse of the law. The Lord Jesus Christ died for us or instead of us, taking our penalty in our behalf when we were yet without strength. I finish with this thought in Romans 5 and verse 8, but God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I think of my life You can think of yours, think of my past and all the things I did which were ungodly and unrighteous and wrong. And I think of us, only the ones I can remember or even know about. And I think of it. And he still loved me. He loved me in eternity. God commendeth his love toward us. The word here, uh, commendeth, is the word synestomy and it means God provided or proved God established, God exhibited his love toward me. It means God's love stood with me. The guy who was the sinner, the guy who was no good, the guy who was in the pubs and the clubs and the drinking on the drugs, the guy who was up to all sorts of things, that guy, God's love still stood. What a love. What a love. Will you accept that love tonight? I do even as a believer. I accept your love. That even in my weakness and my failures, you still love me. One great writer wrote this. God commendeth his love toward us means 
God continuously establishes his love in that the death of Christ remains as its most striking manifestation. The love of God, the most striking manifestation of the love of God is not that he meets your need. It's not that he blesses you with good things. The most striking manifestation of the love of God is not that he brings a general grace to the sinner and the, and the, uh, the, the saint alike. The, the most striking manifestation of the love of God is, is not that he gives and gives and gives us and, and that he just pours out his love all the time. That is not the most striking manifestation of his love. Take it all away. And the most striking manifestation of the love of God is that Christ died. Christ died. Now maybe you're at home wherever you are. I can tell you this, friend, brother, sister, I'll tell you this. There's only myself and my, our elder Andrew down the back. That's it. In the whole building. And I'm aware of him here. I can sense him here. I feel him here. I'm conscious of him. That he loved me before I was born. He manifested his love on the cross and died for us, for me. And he still loves me in my weakness. So, Christ died for us. Christ died for you. Will you accept him as your savior if you don't know him? Believer, Christ died for you. Will you be strengthened in the knowledge of that love? Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for our sins. Christ died that we might obtain salvation. Christ died to bring us to God. What's he going to do? At the minute, as my great high priest, he brings me to God in my failures. But I'm reconciled to God and the Lord Jesus Christ. You can too tonight. Call upon him. May God bless you. May God keep you. May God make his face to shine upon you. And may he be gracious unto you. For Jesus' sake. Let us pray. Father, take your word and use it for your glory. Use it for your honor. And Father, we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus that even someone would take this and share it to an unsaved friend or family member or colleague, neighbor. And Lord, that they would hear the words by which they must be saved to call upon the name of the Lord and I shall be saved. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. God bless. God willing, see you on Tuesday at 7.30. Amen.